Hi everyone, welcome back to Jack Howard Colour, the podcast. Today's guest I'm really excited about talking with, I always enjoy her company, Ashley Hodges. Ashley, welcome. Hi Jack, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's absolutely brilliant to have you on. Now, you're currently resident hairdresser for The Voice, you do a lot of TV work, you've travelled the globe teaching for Matrix and for Daveness, so I mean, absolutely spectacular. Um, You've got loads of things going on about sustainability, which is very much part of your key messaging in life anyway. Yeah. But, and you're very involved with giving back to the industry. I know that from when I came back to the UK 11 years ago, you were you were participating in the fellowship. You've worked your way through the ranks there. You're, you're chancellor with the fellowship now, I believe. I am, yeah, for my sins. <laughs> for your sins. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about your sins in a minute. <laughs> but I mean, talk about amazing. I mean, this this whole breadth. And it started out working at your mum's salon. Is that right? It did, yeah. <laughs> I actually started in hairdressing when I was 11. So 11? Yeah. What were you doing at 11, Ashley? Um, well, it was basically... Um, my mum didn't have her own salon, but at that time, um, she we'd we'd moved from Kent to Northampton, and my dad and my brother would go play football on a Saturday morning, and it was either kind of go help my mum in the salon she was working at, um, or go and sit and be cold on the side of the, on the sidelines of a football pitch. <laughs> so obviously, eleven year old me would obviously choose to be around hair and things like that. So every Saturday, I'd go in and. And I'd work, and it's just nuts now when I look back because I'd work from like eight thirty till five thirty every Saturday, and I'd get paid a fiver. And, yes, and yes. Then, the fiver for the Saturday person. Yeah. I, I think they paid me a fiver in my day. Yeah, and then my mum would give me another fiver, so I had ten pounds every week to top my phone up and chat to my mates, and that's all I really needed at eleven. So yeah, so that's kind of where it all started initially. And then a couple of years later, in 2003, my mum opened her own salon, Flame Hair Studios. And yeah, I was just there ever since. So it's basically in the blood, isn't it? In the family, it's a family thing. And you've sort of caught the caught the, the joy of it very early on. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, my great nan, she was a hairdresser. My great auntie, she was a hairdresser. My mum, even my nan on my other side, my dad's side, she did hairdressing for a while. So it's, it's kind of like in every area of my life. Right, surrounded by it from an yeah. early age then. And so naturally it just sort of, you fell, fell into it really. Did, did you find it difficult or was it something that you just liked straight off? Um, I've, I feel really lucky that I've, I've never necessarily found it difficult. Um, I, I think being around it for so many years, um, it was just kind of a part of my life. And I remember actually like, I used to like, I'd lay in bed with my mom when she was opening her salon and she was trying to figure out what products to take on. And she had like color charts in front of her and she would explain all the bases to me. And so I started to learn it all from such a kind of young, impressionable age that I picked it yes. up quite quickly. I think what I found hard was when I then shifted to be an educator and teach others because I had learned it so quickly. I didn't understand. I had to learn how to break it down for people because I didn't understand that people didn't learn it quickly so I would have to control my frustration and 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 understand my empathy for it more Uh, we're going to get back to that because I think that's a really interesting subject isn't it because not every hairdresser is an educator and not every educator 
is a hairdresser and it's a it's a fine do you know what I mean it's a fine yeah. line to kind of cross that but what was what was school like I mean lots of people have come on this podcast and sort of said that school was totally against you becoming a hairdresser and you know didn't advocate it and we know that we have a, a systemic problem in the UK with recruiting young people into it what did they say to you when you said I want to be a hairdresser um school weren't great um actually um it was really interesting I I I did really well in school I'm such a geek um and and I have a very much a personality where I don't I don't like to I like I'm a people pleaser in in every sense so when I was at school um I hated the idea of like letting down my teachers and letting down my family so I would like work work my ass off um and and I come away with really good grades and I remember in my final year of school when we were all choosing a levels and things like that and and I actually put myself forward to do a levels initially just because I felt like it was what I had to do um it was the way kind of the school was like leading you and I remember a history teacher turning around to me and and she was saying something in a context about uh, whatever subject we were talking about about people like following in the footsteps of their parents and and she turned around and used me as an example and was like well Ashley's mother's a hairdresser and she's obviously not going to follow in her footsteps and I sat there and was like but that's that's what I want to be I want to be a hairdresser and she just and she didn't grasp it and yeah there was there was many kind of chats about the fact that I I was an A-star student but wanted to go off into a into a job that didn't necessarily um open itself up for people like that amazing isn't it that the fact that I feel like if I could go back and talk to those teachers that sort of like you want to be what and show them what a fantastic career it's been um for me and I have I know lots of other people that could say the same and say and here you are doing the same thing and I've been able to move and develop and grow and you know and open facets up in the world that I never thought I would yeah 100% I think it's really interesting like my friendship group is so broad and there's like people that um there's people that have gone to uni and people that haven't um some of them have gone in to be scientists they've gone in to be marketers um they're in banking and all these different avenues and yet I'm the one I feel so lucky because I'm the one that gets to travel the world I I'm the one that never complains about their job and I pretty sure I earn the most money as well and I'm like if I could go back and line us all up and go to school and just say who do you think gets to do all these things? I don't think any of them would have picked me. No, I, they wouldn't pick the hairdresser, that's for sure. I don't I think. Yeah. And I think that's what we as an industry, we need to do more. We need to get out there and say, hey, look at what we do. Look at look at the, the things, the opportunities that can come your way because it's such a broad, expansive career, isn't it, really? 100%. And oh. I think... Sorry, I was just going to say, I just, there's, on, no, there's so no, no, many, go on, go. there's just so many avenues in our industry. So even if one of them isn't right for you anymore, you can go down another one. Like there's always something to do. Always something. I mean, you know, even within the salon, you salon environment, and we're going to talk more about your salon environment in a second, but you could specialize. If you didn't want to be an all-rounder, you could specialize. You've got blow-dry specialists. You've got highlighting specialists. You've got balayage specialists. You've got cuttings. I mean, there's so much, isn't there, that you could break it down to. And then you can go on and you can work with the product companies. You can teach. You can, There's so much. It's huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. Fascinating. Never changes. It's just... It's never the same, rather. It always changes. 
Yeah, exactly. Where where was your mom's salon? So it's in a little town called Toaster, which nobody's ever heard of. Um, It's in between Milton Keynes and Northampton. It's really famous for its race course. And it's down the road from where the Grand Prix is held at Silverstone. Um, So every year it would get jam-packed with racing car drivers and things like that. But yeah, it was, it's a beautiful little market town um, and it's still got very much that kind of oldie worldy feel to it, which is really lovely. That's, that's brilliant. Because how did it affect you then? So in a little market town, I mean, I grew up in a little village, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And I came to, I moved to London for many reasons. One, I wanted to escape that sort of 1980s era and disappear in the big crowd and just thought there were more opportunities yeah. somewhere else. But that, you're much younger than me and, and things have, have changed so much around opportunities and perceptions of it. Did you struggle for people to take you seriously coming from a small market town wanting to be in a big city? I think internally I felt like that. I felt like people didn't take me seriously, whether they did or not, I'm not sure. I also feel like I was pushing like pushing down doors that potentially I would I, I felt like perhaps other people felt I was too young for as well um, right. because because I'd been in the industry um, for, for many years before I kind of officially qualified and and I was just eager to learn more. So like, as soon as I qualified my level three, I started going to every single matrix course because there was always loads in my area and I'd be the one that would sit at the front hounding them with questions, which is why they eventually just said, just shut up and come and work for us sort of thing. Um, but I was only 19 when that happened. Um, yes. And and then I think I was just, I was very determined, um, especially when I was younger. Um, I think I've mellowed out a little bit now. But when I was younger, I was very level, like one track minded. And I just wanted to be the best that I could be and learn as much as possible. Um, so I, I was lucky that Instagram kind of just started around the time that I was qualifying and and I remember it being like a key thing on my when I was on fame team in 2012 because not many people were on it and we were trying to figure out how to utilize it in its best way um but it, social media kind of opened up an avenue for me to reach hairdressers that were in London and were all over the country doing incredible things so I kind of had a list of people that I was like in awe of and I messaged them all to be like can I come and help you and then I would just continue to pester them and I was really lucky that Errol was one of the people that took me under his wing and um and I went and assisted him on many courses and uh shows and fashion weeks and different things like that when I was young and that kind of gave me sorry Ashley Mm. did you find it then did you did you feel that you were sort of breaking a glass ceiling because when I think of a 19-year-old, and obviously, you know, I'm old enough to be their granddad in many ways, um, you kind of think, well, there's this sort of prevailing attitude in the industry that you haven't earned your stripes, whatever that is. I'm not really sure yeah. what it is, but you, you've been hairdressing for eight years. Plus, you're a woman wanting to work outside of the salon and in something that's quite male-centric in some ways. Did you find that a tough one to push through, or was it just sheer determination? And if it was sheer determination, where do you find that strength? Um, I think that I just have, like, an innate fire inside me to, like, push, push boundaries, to be honest, in, in any element, and especially when, if, especially when it comes to, like, 
females and um just generally pushing for people that injustice and stuff uh, which is also where my sustainability thing comes from but yeah I think um I think I found it yeah the fire would actually get like more intense because I would be assisting a lot of guys um I mean like backstage at fashion weeks and things like that it was always like a male lead or on the hair yes. shows that I was working on it was always a male lead and then there'd always be like a female colorist backstage <laughs> that wouldn't get the recognition in the same way and it was just always always nuts um and I think seeing all these men on stage made me want to actually be like well now I deserve to be up there one day like I want to be one of those people that are changing that um yes especially in a female-dominated industry. We are in such a female-dominated industry. And, I, you know, I've had a lot of women on here, more women than I've had on men, with such fantastically interesting stories. Yet the men seem to... And I suppose I'm part of that problem of being a man in there. But it, the men seem to dominate the conversation for some reason. It's It's quite odd, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I've been on different panels and I've like tried to think about how, why it is that way. And I mean, there's just so many multiple reasons for it. And, and the fact that like the society that we live in is just set up like patriarchal. Mm. So it's always going to lend itself more towards that. Um, But I feel like things are shifting and people are taking notice and trying to be more inclusive, not only to like men and women but like hairdressers of color and afro work and there's literally there's just such a broad range of things that are yes thankfully coming to light now and we can like shift and and hopefully in however many years time we'll look back and be like god that that's nuts that the world was like that and the industry was like that do you think that it's more prevalent i mean you've traveled a lot as well so i mean you've worked a lot in the states do you think it's I mean, Instagram makes it look very different now, of course, because you, your voice could be bigger. Anyone's voice could be bigger on that if you bring something to the table. Do you think the Americans, it's slightly different for them? And the, Because I seem, I seem to see more women on stage, more women, business people being more vocal, being which is part of the American, you know, the dream, isn't it? The American dream. Yeah. I can succeed. I can, I can be. Do you think that we're catching up with them or do you think that's just my distorted perception of America? Um, I think it's a hard one, isn't it? Because I always, I always look at the States and like, like you said, I, I work a lot with them and um, both previously and now. And, and I think, yeah, I mean, when it comes to that, I think there are a lot of incredible women kind of paving the way yes. over there. Um, and I feel like we are hope, like had hope that we are catching up with that. And I think also like, Americans from a young age are taught to stand up and be listened to, aren't they? They yeah. do show and tells, they do all of these presentation things from such a young age that actually it probably isn't as hard for a woman to kind of take that on. Whereas it, the British, like we've got this whole thing about like, we feel so awkward about talking about ourselves and like you, and it's yes. funny because like even at the beginning of this, you'd said to me about, oh yeah, well, like feel free to do like whatever promotion about yourself that you want to do and I felt like awkward inside and I like have to like I have to like remind myself that that's part of my job um yes and like we're we're just told that we have to be really humble with things and not shout about them in the same way so I feel like Americans naturally have that 
built into them from such a young age that potentially it is that bit easier but then equally like their society is way more patriarchal than even ours is potentially so it, they still have to break those glass ceilings no different yes. to us they do don't they i'm always in awe of my american friends whenever i'm on stage with one of them or if ever we're doing a live or you know just we're watching them they just present so brilliantly whereas i always feel i have to really work really hard at it whereas it always seems just to kind of flow from their inner selves and i'm just i'm like oh gosh i wish i could have that i know i always think exactly the same like they just have this charisma that i've just never been able to grasp within myself and then like yeah. the first time i ever went on stage i was so unprepared and it was for my fame team semi-final audition and I remember Mark Creed, who was president at the time, like passed me the microphone. And I remember like, like my voice cracking and my partner was in the audience and he thought I was just going to run off and cry. And, uh -huh. um, and then I like, I finished it and I was so pleased I finished it. I kind of did run off stage and Mark Creed had to come and find me for the microphone. And I was like, oh. I was such a like differing mess because I was like 20 years old. I think we've all got that if we've if any of anyone's been on stage we've all got those first time on stage where it's just like i wanted to curl up and just curl up and die yeah but let's talk about that so you you were at your salon your mom's salon you were hounding people at matrix at front of the front of the class with your notebook i bet as well making notes oh yes as we go along messaging people where you could networking which i think it, this industry is really good networking um and so Matrix said to you, come work with us. What, what was that about? Um, so I think because I'd be, I was asking questions constantly and I think they just, they saw that I was passionate and, and really, like, uh, as, as we know, you kind of, you can teach people anything when it comes to hair colour, cutting, styling, but you can't teach a person how to, how to be inward, inwardly, like you can't make them creative, you can't make them passionate about something. Um, so I think they, they saw like that fire in me and was like, right, if we, we could kind of mold that sort of thing. Um, and, and I started off like on the, like the lower ranks and worked my way up. So I used to go into salons and help them troubleshoot their color work and get to understand the products more and like really kind of, that so were you a, a technical partner then sort of thing you go in and be technical or were you as an artist at that point because lots of people want to take that route don't they it's quite an interesting one yeah so I started off uh, more as um the the like technical side of things um in matrix you you kind of you have educators then you have artists so I was a freelance educator for them um and I worked my way up the ranks to what they call a craft educator which is like their top level educator where you can actually teach your own courses to a certain degree within um their technical realm um right. so I'd worked my way up as a freelance version of that uh, whilst I was still in the salon and then when I when I made it onto fame team um and started doing more artistic work I went to them and and, and, and said like this is all the things that I'm doing and they eventually pro promoted me up to artists and I got to run my own courses and do my own creative yes. work and within the first year of me being an artist for them I was then flown out to I'd been picked up by their global team and I was flown out to New York to do a photo shoot for them and and, and it all I like I look back at the very beginning of my career and it was such a crazy whirlwind that I don't think I like 
grounded myself in all of this stuff that was going on. I mean, amazing to be that age and be picked up by a global team in that time, because time it's all changed so rapidly since since that period, hasn't it? When was that, 2012? Yeah, so um, I was on Fame Team in 2012. Um, I think it was 2013 that I became an artist for Matrix. Wow. And yeah, it would have been around 2013, 2014 that I then started doing the New York shoots and yeah, like wow. I was like 22, 23, 24 sort of thing. So, yeah, it's just like... That's fantastic. And, of course, Matrix was the number one colour brand in the USA at one point, wasn't it? Yeah. And then it turned to Red King. So, at that point, it was the number one colour brand. That was a huge opportunity. Yeah. And I look back now and I think, I just, I probably didn't even know what I was doing, Jack. <laughs> like, I, was, <laughs> I was just going along with it all because... I had the opportunities there and I was just grasping them. It was like one of those things that you just go, oh, it's there, I'll grab it and learn later how to deal with it. Like That's brilliant. Working globally, first of all, being in New York must have been absolutely amazing. I love that city anyway. It's full of energy and everything. Um, it just, just fa- so fast, so fascinating to be there. At 20-something, early 20s being in that city, it must have been like, wow. Yeah, it was completely. Um, yeah, it blew me away. And it's it's one of my favourite places. I think if I didn't live in London, I'd want to live in New York just for yes. the fast pace and just the creativity and the interest that's there is incredible. It's one of the the major arguments in our house about where do we live? And I'm like, well, I can do New York. And it always I always get told no, always <laughs> get told no which is very disappointing. But actually, you... So you're in New York City, you're, you're on the fame team, or you've just come off the fame team through there. Did you win? You don't win on the fame team, do you? you it's a group of you that work all the way through it. Yeah, so, so people... So you go sorry, through all these... Sorry, go for it, Jack, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut that bit out, Tom. So for people who don't know, the Fame Team is part of the Fellowship for British Hairdressing and it's really prestigious, it's hard to get on and some of the top names in the UK industry have come out of that. And you were in it. Yeah, it, it's a it's a hard um, journey to get to. You get put through your paces and then, yeah, four people get picked out of uh, what originally starts as a big pool of people and it's like the top young people in the industry kind of get handpicked. So, yeah, I was really, I feel really honoured still to have been part of that that journey. And then I spent mm. a year kind of being moulded by, again, all the all the top people within the fellowship and our industry. Um, you get days of being mentored by them all. And I had the opportunity to do shows in South Africa and San Diego that year. So I was out of the country for two two major shows, both with GHD and Unite um and yeah so it was incredible and we did a big campaign for GHD and uh we we, you do your own photo shoots as well for the fellowship and yeah you get really kind of you get to understand every element of the industry which I think is a really a really good thing especially for um for someone like me I didn't I didn't actually know where in the industry I wanted to go initially I just knew I wanted to be the best that I could be so I never had like a goal of being the next Sam at night or being 
the next whoever I just wanted to learn constantly and and see what opportunities they were I mean already though at that I mean that is a very young age I think um and I you know how did it how did you keep yourself balanced in that I didn't. sense we've got you didn't no, no? I completely fell apart <laughs> um did you yeah well yeah it's a, it's a hard thing to to go through especially like in your early 20s you're also trying to like learn who you are as a person because yeah. like like your hormones have leveled out so you're not that crazy teenager anymore and you are now trying to find your path in life I always think and and yeah I I moved to London because that that had always been my goal since since I was a kid living in Kent and we used to travel to London every weekend and I finally got the opportunity to move to London and and I grasped it straight away and I moved to London in 2007 and I just started falling apart because all of these things that had kind of been like I'd been chasing towards and been doing um yeah just caught up with me because I didn't have a balance in any way and and I would take every opportunity that was thrown my way because at that time there were so many of us youngsters in the industry trying to push forward so if the opportunity if I said no to it it wasn't like they were they were asking for me but there was so many other people that could have filled my place and that would fill my place if I said no so that's why I was so I would take every opportunity that came my way. And then I kind of started to get to a point where I was I was traveling around the world for Matrix, whether it was Poland or Bulgaria or Lebanon. And, and I was still trying to work five days in. Uh, at the time, I was working for Jamie Stevens in his salons. And yeah, it all just got way too much for me. And I think moving to London, you, you also don't realize how... Um, how lonely London can be until you yeah. live like until you live here um and build up your own kind of foundation here so I, I because I didn't have any of that balance yeah I fell apart at the end of 2017 yeah and um yeah I had I had a breakdown and had to kind of pause so throughout 2018 mm. I so I quit working for Jamie Stevens and had to just kind of figure out my balance and figure it out and and I was like well I was making more money doing my freelance work than I was my salon work so Mm. that's that's what had to go the what that that was taking up my time and not giving me the same amount of money so that that was the thing that had to go so yeah so I I quit my job there didn't know what I was actually gonna do other than just take a breather really so in 2017 I just said right I need to pause it sounds really tough because there's the, the the issue of moving to a city and a big city. And I think that like, it always sounds glamorous, but it's always tough for anyone to, to find their feet. Then trying to do five days in the salon and build up a clientele there and do the global work. To be so successful at such a young age must have been quite lonely because your your experience, there aren't that many people that have the same experience. No. And also like, you don't necessarily feel successful, like from the outside, people perceive you as that, but inside you, you still feel like 
you're trying hard to to stay where you are and push further and and there's always going to be people above you no matter what so you actually like I never felt successful um and my perception of success I suppose has also changed since then um but yeah it is and my friends they never fully understood it my family definitely never understood it so it's it is a hard kind of thing to try and to grapple with yeah really hard really hard indeed and so you stopped what was stopping like oh it was it was bliss (laughs) was Um, it yeah I look back and it's probably one of the best years of my life um and and when I say I stopped I mean I still worked I just was really mindful about the work that I took on so it either had to bring me money so that I could pay my rent or that always helps yeah (laughs) Um, and I remember I remember my family turned around to me and be like, what are you going to do now? Because they they never fully understood. Like every, they've always wanted me to stay in the salon because that was like money they knew that would come in all the time sort of thing, even though they never understood that I had more money elsewhere. And they were like, but the other work, that ties you out more. And I'm like, no, but it feeds, like it feeds my soul doing that other work. Yes. Um <clears throat> So they they kind of never understood it. And I remember saying to them, I was like, well, at the end of the day, if I have to work in the pub down the road, I will do it. Like if I if that's what needs to happen to like keep going for the time being. But yeah, so I, I just I was just mindful of the work that I took on. And thankfully, I never ended up having to work in the pub down the road because I had figured out, figured my life out enough so that I could continue working as the global as a global artist for Matrix and Session and um, and then I started working at the social, doing like my clients there. And so I kind of found the first part of the year, I kind of found my feet with it all. Um, I went to right. therapy every week just because I needed to to break things down and figure stuff out. Um, and I, I went on holiday on my own. <coughs> and that was like one of the most amazing things ever because I got to just, yeah, I just got to be, which was really nice. I didn't yeah. put any pressure on myself to I'd spent so many years trying to drive forward. It was so nice to spend a year being like, I don't need to enter any awards. I don't need to push myself in any way this year. I just need to kind of absorb everything that's happened to me before I continue going forward. So taking a, taking that time out, you didn't actually take a year off, basically. You just stripped a few things away so you could actually really find what what worked for you, which is really actually very clever because even now I that the saying no piece is really hard for me saying no to a job saying no to this saying no to that even as we're all locked down it's like saying no to somebody for a live I feel awful about it but there's only so much that you can really do and do it well and then the rest of it it becomes a chore and when it's a chore there's no love there is there no exactly exactly that and it is it's I find it so hard to say no still and I wish I could have taken more I sometimes wish that I could take more from that year, but it's so easy to get back into the habit of saying yes to things that I have to pull myself yeah. up on it all the time. Yeah, I sort of have to, I sort of, I immediately don't respond. I need to look at my diary. I need to, and sometimes I forget to look at the following week and the following week could be a nightmare. And I'm like, oh my God, now it's two weeks of that. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, it's a really important learning and the younger you learn it, the better is that, don't say no, no, don't say yes to everything and saying no is okay. But that's a hard one. Hairdressers were people pleasers, aren't we? We are, yeah, 100%. Again, though, really, 
another sort of groundbreaking thing, becoming an independent, not working for a name, working with Kai at at um, his free working space venue, which is yeah, the social. another one of the, the social, one of, a first really. Again, there are only a couple of those in London. Um, very American in its thought process yeah. in the sense that you can go in and run your own day. So, but that can be isolating as well, can't it? Sort of being that independent, doing that. You've got to be clever with it. Yeah, and you have to figure it out. So I was, when um, Kai, when I started working at The Social, Kai had um, only just really moved premises about six months before. Um, and and we'd, we'd gone for like a cup of tea. We'd ended up doing something for L'Oreal and and my uh, my partner his boss knew Kai and he he kind of knows everyone he he kind of knows everyone in the industry and um and I'd said to Matt I was like oh could you get him to reach out to some people to figure out like because I'm trying to figure out what to do with myself and and I and I loved Jamie but I just knew working for him wasn't gonna be healthy for me to continue but equally, we all know each other in the industry. So if I started like looking to figure out where I was going to do or what, what I was going to do, I didn't want to get him back to him before I spoke to him about it all. Yeah. So I needed to kind of figure it all out. And we'd gone for this cup of tea. Like we'd gone to do some filming for L'Oreal and he was in before me and we looked at each other and was like, I need to talk to you. And he was like, yeah, I need to talk to you because we'd, we'd had conversations about each other with this um, acquaintance that we had. We'd gone for a cup of tea and I said to him, I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, and I don't even know if it's right or anything. And then he told me to go check the space out. And there was only me and another person that was actually going to be freelancing there at the time. I mean, now it's grown into something massive and there's lots of us and it's really incredible. Yeah. And I work between there and Hunter Collective and they're, they're both amazing places um, yes. for their own like indi- individual reasons. Um, but yeah, at the very beginning, it would be like me, Kai and Fabs. It was just like the three of us. And sometimes we were in there, sometimes we weren't. And yeah, it's, it's a it's a weird thing to get used to when you're so used to a certain salon environment and you're used to having potentially a receptionist take your bills and then you do it all of a sudden. And yeah, like it's a weird thing to wrap your head around at the very beginning, but it works. There's a me. discipline in it. I think it does work for something. It works for me being able to go in, set my own schedule, and but then I'm I'm driven. I know that I need to do X, Y, and Z. I don't just want to sit around. Whereas I think some people might think, oh, it's going to be easier. I actually think it's harder, but it actually it benefits the way in which I want to live my life better. Yeah, definitely. And I have this thing, like like I've we've said throughout this, um, being a people pleaser. I struggled when I worked for someone because I would go off and do so many other things. I struggled with the guilt of trying to balance yes. it and make sure that I was still like there and present for them and what they needed from me. And, and I used to find that guilt so, so hard to handle that when I went freelance, it, it just like took that weight off my shoulders. And, and then I had that control to kind of go, right. I can balance my clients with everything else that I'm doing. Yes. And then you can, and you also find the clients that are willing to work with you too, because it's a two way street, isn't it? Yeah, I just, definitely. You know, I feel incredibly guilty if it's like, oh, you know, I, I'm not going to be here for this. But the reality is 
if you come to me as a client, that's kind of what you sign up for too. You know, that I, I will, when I'm here, I will look after you. But if I'm, you know, in Germany or the States or wherever it is, I'm, I'm going to have to do that too. Yeah, now, exactly. Stage work. Your first one was nerve wracking. I've watched you on stage. You're absolutely amazing on Thanks, stage. Jack. You just you come across really calm. You're really inviting for people in the audience, which I think are, are really key points. You spoke briefly about the fact that you had to figure out how to teach what you know. Yeah. Um, and of course, stage work is is like that too, especially if you talk, because we're talking color, aren't we? If you're talking about color. You can't just, I slap it on, you know, you can't just do a, a, a kind of strain. You've got to break it down. How did you figure that out? Um, well, I think, I think the first year that I was teaching as an educator before I even become an artist, I think I was rubbish at it. And I apologise now to everyone that ever came on any of my courses for that, because I think it was just something I had to, I learned it along the way. And I also, yes. I was, I was lucky to have lots of teacher training. And so I learned how to, how to present things and how to break stuff down for people. But yeah, it was, it was a di discipline that I had to bring myself to understand. And, and actually my partner, Matt, he, um, he's a hairdresser as well. And, um, and he, it never came easy for him. Um, and he would talk to me a lot about how he would look at things and that massively helped me because I I would be kind of even just training the assistants in the salon. I'd I'd be showing them how to do a blow dry and and be like, how come you just can't hold a brush? Like and like and I wouldn't huh. say it out loud, but like in my head, I'd be just going, yes. I don't understand how you can't get this. And I would just have to breathe and and break it down even more. And and it took me yeah, it took me probably about a year whilst I was teaching initially to figure out how to break that down easier for people and then it kind of like just switched into into gear and and actually and then I loved the fact that as I was teaching I would learn as I would like yes like as as you're breaking something down for someone you're you're breaking it down for yourself even more and you're going oh my god yeah that is right and, and yeah that's you have these aha moments don't you yeah a hundred percent um so yeah so it took a while and then Thankfully, like by the time I had become an artist uh, for Matrix, I was able to then start doing my own courses and and then figure out how to how to break my own courses down. And and I, what I found that first year that I was an artist because I was teaching color courses, I, we had to do this thing at the very beginning of a lesson where we had to ask what their why they were there. And I'd have so many people just saying that they wanted to learn new techniques or they wanted to learn formulations. And I'd write, okay. But I, I mean, I just, I just, for me, if I'm showing you, I can show you a new technique, but you're not going to learn anything more than that new technique. If I'm going to tell you about a toning formulation that I love, you're only ever going to learn that you're not going to understand it and you're not going to be able to build it for yourself. And yes. you can teach, you can teach someone and you could give somebody a list of formulations that you love to do, but that's going to, that formulation is going to be different on every single person you do it on. And that's it's my most I, hated question yes. on Instagram. What, what, what's your favorite toner? Yeah. And I'm just like, 
it doesn't matter because it's all about the undercoat. You could put my favorite toner on it, but if you don't know that, and I find it a very difficult one to be nice to to come back in and messaging that is sort of this is the reason why I don't give them, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, We've I've been struggling because we for Davines, uh, Tom and I split the collection this year so that we did a conceptual and a lifestyle. And the conceptual collection is never really meant to be taught. Um, we we showcase it and um, it's kind of to, to showcase how incredible the colour is and, and the brand yes. itself and to inspire hairdressers. And I have so many people asking me what the formulations are, especially for the Pacific Ocean Green. And I'll, I'll give the foundation of what the process is and the formulation, but I say to them, like, as, as a colourist, we experiment with nature we have a science experiment with nature every time we apply color. So whatever chemicals I'm applying to that biology is going to be different on any type of biology that I'm doing it on. So any type of hair, it's going to look different. And I've done this Pacific Ocean Green on so many hair types now. And every single time I do it, I have to adjust my formula by some, some gram or some inch or whatever. And I think like, if I give you the formulation, and then you go and do it and it doesn't work. You're just going to go, oh, well, it's rubbish. But it's yes, like, it's, it's not. not. No. no, it's not. It's, I think there's a, you know, education. There is definitely the simple things that you give out are the things that change people's lives in the way in which they work. If, if, you, if a simple thing like talking about an undercoat can change the way somebody sees it, I think that's fantastic messaging. Um, and it, it always makes me smile. But this is interesting, isn't it? Because Davines are doing the, um, the sort of the inspirational and they're also doing the commercial yeah. for it. And that you're involved with it. You've moved companies and now you're with a product company, Davines, of course, beautiful product. Um, but it fits so well with you. The sustainability, the whole genre. Can I ask you a, a question? Have you been to the village? Oh, yeah, it's the most incredible oh, place in the world. My God, I am so jealous. So for those of you that don't know, Davines have a sustainable campus village in Italy, in Parma, and uh, it lives up to all their efforts. So I've only ever seen pictures of it, um, and I obviously know a little bit about it. Oh, but when we're allowed, you... Jack, you'll have to come over with me. I'm coming on a trip with you. Yes. I'm coming on a trip with you. But tell me about your role First of all, before we get into the Davines role, what was it like for you to leave a product company that you've been with for such a long time and make the shift? Uh, the it was terrifying, absolutely yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Um, I'd gone for a drink with Tom. So um, I'd been with Matrix at this point for like 10 years and and they become your family. Like I'd grown up in that brand. Yes. So everyone that yeah. I knew had known me since about the age of 19 and seen me grow yeah. and 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 I wouldn't have been the hairdresser that I've become if it wasn't for them. And there's, there's certain people within that brand that really nurtured me and I'll be forever grateful to them. And I have the same thing with L'Oreal, um, USA and UK, people that held my hand, you know, helped me along the way. They will always be special to me. Absolutely. I think what you do with every brand, don't you? It's like, it's like a breakup. Yeah, it is. And and I'd already started before before I even met Tom I'd already started to think um because I'd shift I was shifting my life around so much and work was the only thing that I hadn't really shifted 
um, because it was, even though I was all over the place, it was weirdly a stable thing for me. Um, and, and I'd started to think that I, I wanted to work for potentially a more sustainable company. And I, I just didn't, I'm not very good, even weirdly, I'm not very good with networking. Like I'm not very good with reaching out to people for my own benefit other than like when I was younger to assist people, it was very different. So, so I've always struggled with that. So I didn't even know how to go about it. And then Tom had been putting up on his Instagram that he was looking for a, a team and he didn't really specify what it was about. And actually my partner had messaged him to say, if you ever need an assistant, I love your work. And then Tom had phoned him to explain a little bit more about what he was about to do um, with leaving Trevor Sorbet and, um, and that he was looking for a technician. And, and Matt had said, oh, well, my missus, uh, she does a lot of, yeah, <laughs> like they're such Northern blokes, honestly, it's funny listening to the two of them. Um, but like, yeah, Matt turned around to Tom and was like, oh, well, my missus does stuff like that. Um, so, and I, and I, at the time I was a bit like, oh, I probably shouldn't, shouldn't message because sometimes it's nice because Matt and I are in the same industry. Sometimes it's nice for, for him to have his own thing and me to have my own thing. And then I'd seen it come up on Instagram as well. I was like, oh, sod it. I'm, I'm going to message Tom because I really admire his work. And um, and then, yeah, so I went for a drink with him and we we did the first collection literally two weeks after meeting each other. We were thrown into doing a collection with each other. I, hadn't, I didn't even know the brand. <laughs> so I was learning the color products as I was creating these images. And, um, and it just worked. And by, when I actually um phoned matrix to let them know that i was leaving i wasn't even 100 percent sure what my contract with davines was but i just right. knew that it was it was the right thing <clears throat> for me i just knew that working with tom was gonna kind of push me even more um and working with a b corporation was just completely like would feed my soul and and we do incredible things like obviously tom and i like joined like officially at the beginning of last year and then we've become locked down like three months afterwards. So we've not traveled the world in the global roles that we were meant to. But even like the bit of traveling that we got to do to the village and we got to go over to Chicago at the beginning of last year. And you do like humanitarian projects whilst you're there. So when we were in Chicago to counterbalance our carbon footprint, we were packing food for the homeless. And like it's just incredible. Oh, it's, wow. it's, it's like it's what I love about it is it's so much more than just me creating beautiful color alongside Tom. We're actually making a beautiful impact for the world. I love that. So actually for the, for people that don't know, and you just mentioned it, B Corp is a huge cert certificate that most companies would die to get really. What can you tell me a little bit about it? Because it is so important to you and your brand and it's very important to Davines too, obviously. Yeah, so to be a B Corporation, um, there's actually only, there's more and more now, but there's, I think, just over 100 in the whole world. So across all industries um, and Davines were one of the first in the whole of the beauty industry. So beyond hair, which is really incredible. And it's all about um, combining sustainability, well-being, the community, um, and it's it's more than profit. So it's Kind of people, planet, then profit. So everything that they, even if they're thinking about creating a shampoo, they think about the impact it's going to have on 
the planet, um, on the people around us, um, their staff and everything before they start thinking about what it's going to bring profit wise in. And I just think it's a really beautiful way to create anything is thinking of that kind of full circle um, circular economy. So, yeah, it's, it's just a really incredible thing to they have to every year they have to um, put together exactly everything that they've been doing to be able to keep the certification. And yeah, so it's not like you get it and then you can sit back and relax. It's something you constantly have to continue to do. Right. And so important when you think about it. And I think really important when you think about the impact that I mean, the joy that our industry brings, but also the waste that we have and the the products and all of that stuff. So they balance all that off and recyclable and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so they become completely carbon neutral. So and I think that's what's really incredible, especially for the likes of us that travel around the world to teach when we're allowed to. Um, yeah, our impact on the on the economy and on the on the world as a whole can be absolutely insane. Um, and the fact that we're in a climate emergency and nobody's kind of shouting about it enough, which is why I try to do it as much as I can. Um, like we, none of us can change the world as a whole, but we can change our own world. And I just think if we can all make little steps towards being better for people and planet then that's surely what we all want to do absolutely I, you can't do it all but you can do your piece for it can't you I mean I even look in my bathroom and I think if I could get rid of that and there's so much packaging that comes with like a face cream you know and the lid that you don't need inside the lid and a little plastic for and it's like I don't need any of that yeah. I just want the tub, you know, and just slap it on. But all of it's like that. It's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. But working with Davines obviously ties very much into who you are as a person. And so there's that beautiful piece of synergy in there. Yeah, exactly. And it was really fun because actually a lot of the Davines people didn't um, necessarily know of me straight away. And and then the more they got to know me, they were like, I can't believe you're only just working for Daveness. You're the, more Daveness than we are. And, yeah. and it was a really, it was really lovely, actually. Um, and it was like the biggest compliment I probably could have had in the first kind of six months to a year of working there was was them embracing me um, because of the the love for everything that I had that aligned with them. Yes, does align. And you you follow this through. So you've been doing a some series on Instagram. Now, <clears throat> you, I always giggle when I think about you and Instagram because I, not not for a bad reason, but I remember at Colour World last year with Nikki Pope and we were all sort of in our masks and our visors. And I asked you what you thought of Instagram and you said it was like going to a bar, you had to go in and you had to say hello to people. And you had this very, just really great, honest idea about it that it is it's a social event be social with it don't need to you don't need to be anyone else in there you don't need to blow your trumpet and you've sort of here you are doing these IGTV series yeah so I I've had a love-hate relationship with Instagram since the very beginning like I said to you like we were we were told about Instagram back when I was on fame team in 2012 and and, and none of us really knew what it was about back then. And, and I, I was told that it had to be so much professional and so much of yourself. And, and I've never really, I, like I said, I'm not very good with my own self-promotion. Um, and that's what at first I felt Instagram was very much about. And 
And I utilized it so, to a certain degree at the very beginning of my career because I couldn't afford PRs and anything like that. And then, yeah, it was Vivian Johns, actually, that's part of our hair.com art team that, that told me the party analogy. And she was like, Instagram's a party. It's a social platform. You turn up and the more interactive you are with it, the more of a life and soul of the party you'll be. And I was like, oh shit, okay, well, I'm actually not a very like life and the soul of the party type of person. If I turn up at an event, I will only talk to the people that I know because I'm just not a very good person with um, like just general chit chat. Like I can't deal with that. I like talking to people about interesting subjects. I don't want yeah. to just be like, oh, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. What have you been up to? Yeah, I've been busy. Yeah, I've been busy too. Like I, it doesn't excite me doing that. Um, and then I started wanting to kind of figure out how I could utilize Instagram for the things that I cared about and was passionate about and interlink it with obviously my hair work and, and just so it was more kind of fully rounded about me. So, um, so I, so I started this kind of 12 months of sustainability because more because I started it in my actual life and I wanted to to talk about it and potentially inspire other people to do it. So I did a few episodes of that and I paused it actually last year when everything went a bit nuts. Um, but it's something I still continued in my own life. And then, and then I, and then I did our, the wellbeing Wednesday as well, because sustainability and wellbeing were two things that were really important to me in my life. And I felt like we needed to open up about it more in the industry, both in both areas so yeah, yes. so I started 12 months of sustainability actually started because I had a really dark day. I, I organized the luncheon that, that year prior. Um, and, and the it fellowship was, luncheon. Yeah. The fellowship luncheon. It's like, yeah. there was 468 people at that luncheon and I, I'd never organized an event like that before in my life. So <laughs> it was a crazy task to take That's on. The, the Christmas one, the Christmas one. Yeah. It's, it's the best ticket in town. really isn't it I mean you get to see it is in the sense that you get to see all your hairdressing bodies they're all there everyone's drinking champagne the food isn't particularly great it never is at functions with 400 and something people but it's just a good hey how are you how are you just before the beginning of December before the madness starts it's it's yeah so yeah so I that that was my first year as chancellor for the fellowship so it was my my job and my role uh to organize that so I'd taken that on and and with a massive high, you get a big low, don't you? And then also when you're putting on an event for like 468 people, you're going to have some people complain and everything. Oh, and, and, and as a people pleaser, um, that's going to, you're, that, you're going to take all of that to heart as well. So I had this day where I was like crying over a lot of stuff and my partner came home and like Matt was talking to me about it all. And, and at the time, um the government had changed like had hadn't changed I should say so I was feeling all into it all and just being like the world I'm just so scared about what's going to happen to the world and and that's when we started planning for the for the year of 2020 to be our 12 months of sustainability so every single month we focused on one area of our life that we could we could make more sustainable so that we weren't trying to take it all on at once because I think like we we can all watch the David Attenborough programs and we can all watch these documentaries on plastic and climate change and and they can terrify us and make us feel so overwhelmed that we end up just being like either trying to take it all on at once 
completely burning out and and not following through and doing it and resenting doing it so then you just go well that's not possible I can't do it all by myself or you go get so freaked out by it that you think oh I'm never going to make a difference and then you don't do it and when you when you kind of think about we all do things we all have to learn things gradually so it was all about kind of learning how to be more sustainable in our life gradually so that it could be a change that stayed with us and then by the end of last year like every single thing that I would do I would automatically think whether it was sustainable and 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 figure out the more sustainable options without even it being a choice it was just something that my brain did because I'd spend the whole year thinking of it Mm. it's a good way to look at it isn't it that if you just do a little bit I mean I can't watch any of the the uh the shows it just makes me feel so sad and despondent by it all um but taking a little bit at a time that's cool and what else are you doing on that with that um the well-being wednesday yeah so um i started these lives in the first lockdown just because we were all feeling obviously a lot of emotion and it was a bit of a roller coaster so i started these lives on a wednesday and i did four initially and i've started them back up during this lockdown And they're just lives with either people in the industry or people that I know. And we just talk openly about our mental health, our well-being, how we're feeling um, and and just break things down. And and I've had some really incredible people on there, both in the industry and outside of the industry, just being honest as well, because that's what I really wanted. Because I think when I when I struggled with my mental health um, back in 2017, what I found made me feel lonely was the fact that I'd been around all these incredible hairdressers that I'd been assisting and never once had they said to me that they'd found it hard it was always Mm. like I'd spent so many years growing up in the industry being told that you're driven by passion and you you'll do this work for free because you're passionate or you'll do this because you're passionate and it's like well that will only push you forward for so long like you that you need more substance than just passion to push you forward and and I needed a place to I I just figured that I needed to create a space for people to be open and go sometimes it's not great but that's okay and then Mm -hmm. other times it is great and that's okay and so that's really where Wellbeing Wednesday came from that's interesting the shared stories you know in life it's not all okay is it really but think that we can't dismiss the fact that people struggle and we we have to acknowledge that and ha- people have to be able to say I'm having a bad day without it being negative or I feel anxious or but do you think do you think the industry it's contentious this do you think the industry is some some people are over talking that and it puts people off as in it could put a product company off or do you think people are embracing the fact that it's okay to talk about this stuff um I I think it's I think it's hard I think there's a way to talk about it um personally um I wouldn't necessarily go onto Instagram crying if I'm having a bad day and showcase that because that I I don't want to glorify that I want to Mm. if if I'm having a really bad day if I'm having a dark day like I said I need to feel into it myself. Nobody else needs to feel me feeling into that. Like yeah. it's for me to sit into that emotion, understand it, break it down, and then 
when I'm doing better, I can talk about it to people. Um, and that's really and do you like... think therapy led you to that conclusion? Because I spent maybe 12, 15 years in therapy once a week in the States. I mean, you know, I was a big old mess and I needed to find myself in it. And I, you know, it's some, I'm a huge advocate of it, but it certainly taught me how to sit and look at myself and to be honest with myself and, and all of that. And I don't feel the need to sort of broadcast it, but I'm a huge advocate of it. Do you think that's what it did for you, taught you? Yeah, therapy massively. Um, because I didn't actually, the first, my first, my very first therapy lesson um, or session that I had, I I didn't realise how much I was holding on to. Um, mm. and, and it was in that session that I kind of went, oh, I should have done this years ago. Um, so yeah, I learned, I learned so many things with that. And I, I still, I have a mindset coach or a life coach, whatever it is that people want to call it, that I check in yeah. with every two weeks, just not because, because I felt like when I finished my therapy journey, I didn't need to keep going over the same things, but I just needed to continue to check in with myself. Um, yeah. So every two weeks I, I have that just to check in with myself and and almost just like brain dump what's been going on and break it down a little bit because sometimes we don't necessarily do that enough um, and we don't necessarily want to do it with the people that are around us all the time. No, sometimes I think we it's need, healthier. Yeah, we need, we need that yeah. um, someone that's disengaged with your everyday life. Um, so, yeah, so and I think it's important for people to know that like, and, and the busier you get and the more you take on, the more you need to be able to unload and yes. breathe and and, and have yeah. these days where you sit with things. So I think within our industry, I think it's really good that people are open up about it. But I think we need to make sure that we, we're not putting our issues on other people. Like the whole, the whole thing is for us to feel into things ourselves and not put those emotions onto anybody else. I don't want to be defined by it. I, yeah. I, you know, and that, of course, is other people's judgments of me, and I shouldn't be so worried about it. But I don't want to be defined by it. A wise therapist said to me many years ago, said, Jack, you can't change the story, but you can change how you feel about it. And in my dark days, I sit there and I think, I can't change this story, but I can change how I feel about it. And it works for me, you know? Yeah, definitely. I have to do that. I have a similar thing, uh, but with people. I can't change how they think or how they behave, but I can change my behavior and my thoughts with them. Yeah. Well, what a way to finish a podcast. Um, you know, Ashley, there are a million other questions I want to talk to you about. So I think that you're going to have to come back. Um, um, I want to talk to you about your new adventure at hair.com and we haven't had time, but I'd like to thank you for today. Talk about thoughtful, talk about insightful absolutely refreshing it's been just a joy to chat with you thank you so much oh no thank you so much jack i've absolutely loved chatting to you so i hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as i did making it for you don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from itunes is my favorite but i know there are others out there and also if you want to follow me on stories on instagram it's jack howard color c-o-l-o-r the american way not the english way and on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C-O-L-O-R.com. Hold up. 